The Bradford Exchange presents the Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 14 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the classic radio theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour mystery episodes of The Whistler. We'll begin after this break. Eerie Whistling, picked up by the orchestra for a dramatic effect, was the signature tune for this CBS mystery anthology. Through a careless mistake or a twist of fate, nearly every killer, blackmailer, and criminal would ultimately be brought to justice by the show's conclusion. Always looming in the shadows was the Whistler, an omnipresent figure acting mostly as a guilty conscience. Having foreseen the fate of the protagonist, he nevertheless urged them on, strangely aware of what they were thinking. The Whistler's grim chortles concluded each story of those unfortunate enough to be caught in a dark web of their own making. The program had a long and successful run airing from 1942 until 1955. For a time, Gail Gordon, Marvin Miller, and Joseph Kearns supplied the voice of the Whistler, but Bill Foreman had the role the longest. Columbia Pictures produced a series of eight motion pictures based on the radio series from 1944 to 1948. A short-lived television series aired in 1954. Time now for the first of two episodes of The Whistler. In this first one, the lawyer of a wealthy old man is astounded when his client marries a beautiful 24-year-old woman who seems to have no desire for her husband's fortune. Here's two-year plan on The Whistler. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program. In gasoline, you know, it takes extra quality to go farther. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal Circle sign in yellow and black that identifies Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. Two-year plan. It had taken Eddie Davis exactly two years to swing it. And two years was very good time, even for a smart lawyer like Eddie. They'd all thought he was crazy when he left a promising job with the established law firm of Garden, Walker, and Reed to set up his own practice with just one client on the books, old Peter Jackson. Now, Mr. Davis, as you know, my holdings run around $5 million. I must have a man in whom I can place complete trust. I see. I think you'll discover you can trust me, Mr. Jackson. That remains to be seen, Mr. Davis. 
That remains to be seen. Yes, you went to work for Peter Jackson, Eddie. Because he needed someone he could trust those five millions to. Only a few months later, he was singing a different <laughs> tune. Eddie, Eddie, that's wonderful. Uh, nothing to it, Pete. <laughs> you, you say old Hamilton didn't know Columbia stores wanted that corner of his? Well, you don't think he'd let it go for 40000 if he did, do you? <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, believe it or not, this time it isn't the money. For the first time in my life, I've got the jump on Hamilton. <laughs> you know, Eddie. Yeah? You're doing a great job for me. A great job. The next jump was the long one, wasn't it, Eddie? It took a lot of work and more than a year of waiting... But you'd figured it for the long pull and kept telling yourself you had all the time in the world. You knew when Peter finally came around, he'd, uh, he'd drop it in with other business like a casual remark on the weather. But you were ready for it. You didn't bat an eye. Take care of that lease renewal on the 48th Street place, will you? It comes up on the 12th. Right. Well, I guess that does it, Pete. I better be on my way. Oh, and another thing, Eddie. Hmm? Uh, while you're downtown... Drop by the bank and pick up my will, will you? Your will? Yes. I'd like to look it over. Okay. I'll bring it up this afternoon. You're not going to ask me why? Well, I I think that's your business, Pete. Yeah. I'm glad you look at it that way. You know, I've done a lot of thinking during the last few months, Eddie. I suppose a man gets a little philosophical when he passes the 65 mark. Everything suddenly seemed a little silly to me. Silly? What do you mean? Oh, sweating and straining to pile up another million before I die. Working for someone 3,000 miles away whom I've never seen. I'm afraid I don't understand. Naturally, you don't. You've never asked me about my will, Eddie. And I can't help but admire you for it. But uh, what's this about working for someone you've never seen? The beneficiary. Oh. Name of Shelby Gordon. Living in Vancouver, British Columbia. Only living relative I have, by the way. Not even a blood relation. Eddie, I've... I've come to admire you very much. I like you. Like the way you do things. Well, thanks, boss. I, I think I... I've found something in you, Eddie. Oh? Something I've never had before. Something I've never been able to buy. What's that? Friendship. So, that's why I want you to get out the will. I'm making you my beneficiary. And that was it, Eddie. Two years almost to the day. And there's a new will, signed, sealed, and witnessed, with your name in the right place, simply because no one else in town was smart enough to see that Old Peter Jackson was a pushover for the right boy. It's legal now. You send off the new will to the recorder's office, and Peter writes a personal letter to notify the former beneficiary in Vancouver, because that's the way he does business. There's nothing between you and that five million Eddie but time. That was January. Then, on a bright afternoon in mid-April, he does something with words he could have done better with a baseball bat. You walk into his office, bright and cheery as usual, and he looks up from his desk, smiling. Oh, Eddie, I'm glad you came. Got some news for you. What is it this time? We buying another brick heap? <laughs> no, something more important than that. Oh, wait a minute, let me guess. You put another deal over on Hamilton. <laughs> You'd never guess in a million years, Eddie. I'm getting married. Huh? Married? <laughs> I told you you'd never guess. Yeah. You yeah. were right. Decided I had been a bachelor too long. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Getting married for the first time at 65. Still, I've heard of others. Who is she? A young lady. Tenant of mine in the Riverside Drive place. A young woman, huh? Yes. Why? How young? 
40, 45? I said young Eddie. Marsha's 24. 24? Oh, now, wait a minute. I know what you're going to say. No, but Pete, Don't you... Don't say it. I want you to meet Marsha first. Okay. Better get ready. She's meeting us in the Astor Lounge in half an hour. No congratulations. Your suggestion was a good one, boss. Suppose I meet her first, huh? With the prologue of Two-Year Plan, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange tale by The Whistler. If you were buying something that cost $100, you'd make pretty sure you were getting the very best quality for your money, wouldn't you? Well, if you're an average driver, you spend about $100 a year for gasoline. But how can any driver measure the quality of a gasoline? Why, easy. Look at it this way. If a gasoline helps your motor run more efficiently, it also helps you get more mileage, right? Which explains why we're so proud of the fact that Signal is known from Canada to Mexico as the go-farther gasoline. But even more important to you is what makes Signal's mileage possible. The increased engine efficiency that gives you quicker starting, faster pickup, and smooth, knock-free power. You see? It's these same features which give you extra driving pleasure that also give you extra mileage you can measure with your speedometer. Just you switch to Signal for a few fillings and let the performance of your own car show you what more and more drivers are discovering. In gasoline, it takes extra quality to go farther. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. Eddie, your client and friend, Peter Jackson, could have done it better with a baseball bat. Somehow, though, you managed not to show the shock, the sinking feeling inside you as you stood there in his office while he calmly told you he'd uh, gone off the deep end. You listened to him talk about Marsha McElroy in the taxi on the way to the Astor, and by the time the two of you walk into the lobby... You figure your chances of holding on to that five million, if the marriage goes through, are about those of a lame goat in the Kentucky Derby. You follow Peter into the lounge, and suddenly he's saying, Marsha, dear, I want you to meet Mr. Davis, my attorney. Eddie, Marsha McElroy, my fiance. Hello, Mr. Davis. Peter has told me so much about you. <laughs> What's the matter, Eddie? <laughs> Cat got your tongue? Hmm? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Hello, Miss McElroy. And you know at that moment that she holds all the cards you have and several more. Yes, Eddie, you've seen beautiful women in your time, but nothing ever to compare with Marcia. With her jet black hair and creamy skin... And eyes that seem to change from blue to violet to purple. The kind of eyes that make you stutter and wobble at the knees. And Peter is proud of her. You can see that, too. She leaves the two of you alone for a moment over your coffee and cigars, almost as if she knew you were waiting for an opportunity to discuss her. Well, Eddie, what about the congratulations now? She's uh, very charming, Pete. Quite beautiful, too. You approve? You mind if I speak frankly? Oh, you've got a right to. You're my best friend. She's marrying you for your money. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Look, she's 24 and you're 65. Now, does that make sense? Go on, Eddie. Well, two months after your marriage, she'll be after everything you've got. And if you don't give it to her, you'll find yourself defended in a separation suit and she'll be using those... Those gorgeous eyes of hers on a jury. I think you're wrong. Okay, okay, I'll make you a little bet. I'll draw up a marriage contract. Oh, it isn't very usual nowadays, but it'll save you paying through the nose later. 
If Marsha marries you in the face of the kind of marriage contract I draw, I'll eat, I'll eat crow until it comes out of my ears. Now, that's fair enough, isn't it? You'll give us your blessings, then? Pete, if she signs that contract, you can make me number one flower girl. Good. Bring it around tomorrow. I'll have her there to sign it. Mr. Davis, Peter's been telling me you think I should sign some sort of agreement before we're married. Uh, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I, I have it right here. Uh, I, I, I think it's best to sort of clarify things ahead of time and, and, uh... Oh, stop hemming and hawing, Eddie. I've already told Marsha why you thought she should sign it. She has no objections at all. Peter, you're embarrassing, Mr. Davis. Come on, Eddie. Let's see it. Oh, it looks so legal. Well, briefly, Miss McElroy, it, it provides for the amount of money you're to have as an allowance while you're married. And, uh, well, it also provides for any alimony or claim for support in the event of a divorce or separation. I see. And how much is it to be? Well, the, uh, the allowance is $75 a week. And in the event of divorce or separation, nothing. Well, what do you think, Marsha? Do I have to sign it as is? You mean you have some objection? Well, I suppose I do. Oh? What is it, Marsha? Well, I I think the allowance is entirely too much. You better make it $50. After all, Peter, with you to take care of me, what in the world would I do with $75 a week? No, Eddie. You'll never understand it. You can't believe she's genuine, yet there it was right in front of you in black and white. And you're more confused than ever, because deep inside you, mixed up with the dollars and cents, tangled with your rivalry with her for the five million, you know you're in love with her, just as lost as Peter is in those deep blue eyes. There's only one possible answer, of course. She's like you are, playing it the smart way, concentrating on that $5 million inheritance. It's three weeks after the wedding before you get another chance to be with her alone. Peter had called that he wouldn't be at the office all day, and you're working there alone when she comes in. Well, Marsha. Hello. How's the bride? Happy, thank you. What brings you downtown? Well, let's see... The two things or three. <laughs> First of all, Peter has a cold. A cold. Oh. Secondly, he asked me to do a few errands for him. And? And? And third? Yes. I'll bite what? I thought you might ask me to lunch. Oh, sounds great. <sighs> what are you working on? A copy of Peter's will. Oh, then. Yes, yes, that. Now that he's married, you know, there'll have to be some provision for you, one way or another. Does it? Oh, come on now. Let's not go through that again. No, huh? no, I'm interested. Yeah, I should think you would be. That's why you married him, isn't it? You're being rather cruel. Oh, now drop it, will you? We're alone here. You can let down your hair. Oh, I admit you threw me an awful curve with that marriage contract. As a rule, you know, gold diggers will sacrifice the long pull in favor of ready cash. Please, Eddie. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't you see? I'm trying to make him happy, Eddie. Trying to give him something to believe in. Can you understand that? No. There's no way I can convince you? Yeah, yeah. There's one way. Well, what's that? Sign away your interest in the estate. I see. Uh-huh. You're genuine, though, aren't you? You're a real friend to him. You don't care about his money. What's that got to do with it? Well, he told me you're the current beneficiary in his will. Oh, how'd you get that out of him? Third degree or thumb screws? Did you have to say that? Oh, I'm sorry. You see, I can't help wondering about you, Eddie. Yeah, well, I'll leave that up to Peter. Well, he's wondering, too. You seem so concerned about the marriage. What'd you tell him? Nothing. Mm, I see. Would I convince you if I signed away my interest in the will? After that, baby, I'd believe anything. And you'd convince me if you signed away yours. I already told you that the money didn't make any difference to me. 
What about you? He's my best friend. Does that answer your question? There's only one way you can answer it, Eddie. We can go to him together and tell him we want the will restored to its original state. Just as it was before he met either of us. You mean leave his money to that, that, that Shelby Gordon in Vancouver? That's right. Oh. Well, which is it? Peter as a friend or his money? I'm sure he'll be glad to know. Do you really mean that? You, you'd give it all up for... Of course I do. Oh, no, no. You're not human. You're not human at all. You're out of this world. Do you believe in me now? Oh, it just doesn't make sense, Marsha. You're young. You're the... Well, you're the most beautiful girl I ever saw in my life. Pete is 65. I told myself the will was the only possible answer. You've been terribly hard to convince. Oh, they don't come like you. Not, not even in dreams. Uh, you're awfully sweet. I don't need to tell you, I guess. Women have a way of knowing, anyhow. Marsha, I... Please, please, don't say it. It isn't right. I'm sorry. I'm not used to playing the second string. I just want you to remember that... But after Pete's gone, I'll... I'll be around, waiting. I'll remember that. Well, are we going to see Peter about changing the will back to the original beneficiary? Yeah. You know, you're not only beautiful, Marshy, you're smart. If I refuse, he disinherits me anyway, because my motives aren't pure. Ah, you win. Let's go see Peter. At first... What? Lunch. Well, Eddie, you have to believe in her now, don't you? There just aren't any other answers. The two years you invested in Peter Jackson went for nothing. The dreams of the five million dollars fell to pieces before this girl whose only weapon was honesty. And somehow you find you can take it. One look from those blue eyes and you'd buy her Grant's tomb and make a down payment on the Brooklyn Bridge. A week after the new will is signed, reinstating Shelby Gordon of Vancouver, the original beneficiary, Peter calls to say he's not feeling well again and asks if you'd mind driving her home after an afternoon of shopping. It's been awfully sweet of you to drive me home, Eddie. Uh, Marsha? Yes? Oh, I better skip it, I guess. What are you trying to tell me, Eddie? You've started to say something three times in the last five minutes. Well, Marsha, it's, it's about the will. Oh, again? Yeah, again. Now, believe it or not, I'm only thinking of you this time. What is it now? Well, it's not fair to you. Oh. No, don't look at me that way. He ought to provide for you. you, you you've got a legal right to it. I told you I don't. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You might as well know all of it. Now, the will is signed and witnessed on page three. I drew it up that way. Mm. It's still down in my office safe. I've got a right to keep it there because I'm Peter's executive. But I don't see what Well, it's just is... this. The beneficiary shown on page two. It'll make no difference whatsoever to Peter if I draw up a new page with... with you as beneficiary. Why, Eddie, why, that'll be forgery. I know it. For you, I'd take the chance. Look, he doesn't care a rap for this, this Shelby Gordon in Vancouver. He's never even seen him. I don't want it, Eddie. I don't want you to touch it. Is that clear? You mean you'd expose me if I did? Why, I don't know. Well... Here we are. You've got to promise me, Eddie. No, let's not talk about it here. Now, wait a minute. Look, here comes the maid. Mrs. Jackson! Mrs. Jackson! Something's wrong. Oh, Mrs. Jackson, I've been trying to get you. What's the matter? It's Mr. Jackson. He's had a stroke. <gasps> Peter! It's awful. Did you get a doctor? Yes, he's up there now. I'm afraid Mr. Jackson's gone. Oh, Eddie, come on. We'd better hurry. No, no. I've got to get back to the office. Sir, Don't argue with me. Go up and talk to the doctor. I told you I've got to get back to the office. And there's a good reason, isn't there, Eddie? As you race down the parkway toward town, page two of the will falls into place in your mind. Only the three of you knew the context because you'd been clever enough to call in the witnesses only for the signatures. Yes, Eddie, you knew you'd never have a chance with your own name there, but with Marsh's, the two-year plan might pay off after all. (laughs) 
It takes you only a few minutes to draw up the new page and insert it between the others, replacing the black ribbon just as it was before, and carefully put it back in the safe. You still aren't sure of Marsha, but with $5 million at stake, you know it's worth the gamble. The two of you meet at the funeral and sit side by side during the services. But you know that now isn't the time to tell her, that you'll have to wait until later, after you file the will for probate. Here you are. Mr. Jackson's death came so unexpectedly, I, I'd planned to bring the will down this week, but... Uh... Mm. Well, properly executed, witnessed, so on. Now, I don't think there'll be any difficulty. Mrs. Jackson be the natural beneficiary, of course. Yes, of course. Mr. Davis. Hello, Anna. Mrs. Jackson in? Why, didn't you know? Know what? She's gone away. Left right after the funeral. Where? She didn't say. Poor thing was pretty hard hit by Mr. Jackson's death, you know. Expect she's gone up to the mountains or somewhere. Oh, she left a note for you. A note? Where is it? You'll find it right there on the hall table. A note? She's writing notes for? Hmm. Dear Eddie, I'm writing you this because I'm leaving now for good and I know we'll never see each other again. Thanks so much for your kind services. I appreciate everything you've done more than I can say. It was strictly business, you know. So I want you to send me a bill. You're a smart lawyer and a wonderful friend. Cordially, Marsha Jackson. Cordially, Marsha Jackson. Cordially. Is there something wrong, Mr. Davis? Anna, you want to know what the nastiest word is in the English language? Well, please, sir. Cordially, Anna. Cordially. Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending of tonight's story. Meantime, a question. What would you think of a driver who deliberately did something that clogged up his motor with six times as much carbon and wore out his cylinders 50% faster than necessary? Well, get ready for a shock, because that's just what you're doing if you're still using old-fashioned straight motor oil. Listen to these facts. In exhaustive road and laboratory tests, today's finest straight motor oil was compared with the amazing new type signal lubricant that combines five scientific compounds with 100% pure paraffin-based signal premium motor oil. The result? The motors using signal premium oil actually showed only one-sixth as much carbon and one-third less cylinder wear. Now get that. Better make your next oil change a change for the better. Change to the new type Signal Lubricant that's your guarantee of a sweeter running motor. Signal Premium Motor Oil. Now back to the Whistler. So she's gone, Eddie. All the dreams, all the visions of you and Marsha... And Peter Jackson's five million dollars are gone. Vanished into thin air. And for the first time in your life, you have to admit, someone made a sucker out of you. The will's gone in for probate now, and you have a choice to make. Either you can let it stand and allow Marcia to collect the estate, or you can set things right, admit to a forgery, and perhaps give the state a chance at a two-year plan of its own. For three days, it churns around in your mind, keeps you from anything else. Then, with the reading of the will only a day off, you make your decision and walk into the district attorney's office. He's interested in what you have to say. Well, that's it. I was in love with her. I think it was more that, at the end at least, than anything else. I wanted to see her get what was coming to her. And naturally, you hope that the Yeah, two of you... yeah, yeah, there's no point in denying it. Now that it's over, I want to set things straight. Now, don't get me wrong, D.A., it's not because I'm so honest. Uh, you just don't want to let her make a sucker out of you, huh? That's right. She has no claim on the estate. Money belongs to a distant relative, a guy named Shelby Gordon, lives in Vancouver. 
I have the genuine pages of the will right here. Oh, good. Incidentally, I, I don't think you'll have to worry about the forgery charge, Eddie. Doesn't make much difference anyway. And... What do you mean? Look, I don't know what league you play in, but five million bucks is a big difference to me. <laughs> what did you call her, Eddie? A beautiful question mark? Yeah. Well, a probate court called yesterday. Asked us to check on her. You see, there was a reason why she came to New York and married Peter Jackson after he'd made a new will in your favor. What? We thought there might be a loophole somewhere. Possible fraud. But there isn't any. She's too smart. You see, before she came here, she had her name legally changed to Marsha McElroy. Her real name was Shelby Gordon. Lives in Vancouver. That whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Monday at 9. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure. Drive at sensible speeds. Be courteous and obey traffic regulations. Featured in tonight's story were Lorene Tuttle and Gerald Moore. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen. Story based on an idea by George Fass. Music by Wilbur Hatch. And was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Whistler with Two-Year Plan, starring Lorene Tuttle from November 25th, 1946. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another episode of The Whistler for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. On this episode of The Whistler, a husband gives his wife every opportunity to kill him and then frustrates her every attempt. Here's three times a sinner on The Whistler. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for The Whistler, rated by Independent Research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. And remember, let every traffic signal remind you, with new signal gasoline, you do go farther than ever. Look for the familiar big yellow and black circle sign that identifies those popular signal service stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. 
And now the Whistler's strange story, Three Times a Sinner. Lydia Hunter stood alone in the kitchen, watching the coffee bubble in the electric percolator. She knew Gerald would want his coffee when it was over. He always did when anything excited him. And she reasoned quite correctly that nothing excites a man more than being told by his doctor that he's going to die. The attack had come in the early evening while Gerald was seated at the organ playing a Bach fugue. The music had suddenly stopped. She'd run from the library into the study to find him unconscious on the floor. She'd call Dr. Farmer and then had made Gerald as comfortable as possible until the doctor arrived. Everything Gerald could expect from his dutiful wife. She stared down at the coffee, bubbling in the glass top of the percolator, waiting. Then... That was just like him. The examination was over and he was back at the organ again. She filled his coffee cup and hurried to the study. There you are, Lydia. Just in time to celebrate Dr. Farmer's prophecy of my death. Oh, and coffee. My obedient wife is bringing me my coffee. No coffee for me, thanks, Lydia. I must be going now. But it's raining, Doctor. You see, Richard, I've implied to my wife that I'm dying, and she immediately goes into a report of prevailing weather conditions. Tell me, Doctor. Is Gerald just being dramatic, or is there something seriously wrong? Gerald is a sick man, Lydia. And I don't recommend too much of that coffee. Oh, nonsense. Coffee's my mainstay. Then it's true. Oh, Gerald. Oh, Gerald. Oh, come, come, Lydia. (laughs) Try those crocodile tears. They stain your makeup. Furthermore, you know you're deliriously happy. Why, just think, I can slip off at any moment now. Don't talk like that, Gerald. It may take years, old man, if you take things easy. Cut out drinking and smoking entirely, of course. Well, I've got to be running along now. I'll see you to the door, Doctor. Oh, really, Lydia? Don't you think you can find it after all these months? We don't keep changing around, you know. Good night, Gerald. Remember, you have as many years as you want. It's up to you. Of course, Doctor. It really is serious, Richard. Nothing to be alarmed about. No vigorous schedule or anything like that, though. He can't bear a quiet routine. He'll have to, poor beggar. You sound sorry for him. I am. And I wish you could make your pity sound more convincing, Lydia. Oh, he never believes me anyway. He's always been like that. Look at the rain. Yes. When am I going to see you again? Soon. That's all? Just soon? He's suspicious enough as it is. He's bitter and hurt. You've disappointed him as a wife... Perhaps through no fault of your own, but he is disappointed and bitter. Oh. That can make a man unscrupulous. So be careful. I don't understand. I won't say any more, Lydia. Just be careful and be honest with him. Take good care of him. He needs you, and you owe it to him. Good night. Good night, Richard. Richard! Yes? I love you. Oh. Yes, Mrs. Hunter? I didn't know you were here, Martha. Were you going? Mr. Hunter told me I might go, ma'am. Well, I'd rather you stayed a while. Made him say that. I don't know, ma'am. I'd better see him. Well, Lydia, that was a long farewell. Why did you tell Martha to leave for the night? Is it difficult for you to understand that I might like to be alone with you? But surely, Martha... Martha has a perceptive eye and a very sharp ear, Lydia. You'd be shocked at the things she knows. Interesting creature, Martha. She has a sort of uh, feudal loyalty to the master of the house. You haven't drunk your coffee, Gerald. Lydia, since you and I are not even friends any longer, would you consent to a divorce? Leave you now. After Richard's diagnosis tonight? It was important to you, wasn't it? Why, of course. It was important because now you know that soon, perhaps even tonight, you'll be a wealthy widow, free to marry again. Gerald, must we go on talking like this? No, not at all, my dear. But I know that you're awaiting my death. Oh. That makes me feel as though I were loitering. 
I don't want to borrow time, a few weeks, a few months. I don't want to borrow your affection, kisses you don't mean, a few soft words of phony solicitude. Oh, really, Gerald? I don't see why I have to I stand here and I don't want to listen. borrow anything, my dear. And I have a way. Gerald, where did you get that bottle? It's marked poison. Yes, quite a coincidence. It is poison. What are you going to do? You mean, what have I already done? As you see, there's precisely half a bottle. While you're gone, I pour the other half of my coffee. I'll never taste it. It's supposed to be like adding sugar. All I have to do is lift it to my lips like this, and... <laughs> uh, I was hoping you'd stop me. You realize what will happen if I drink this, yet you stand there watching, letting your little dreams multiply. Well, I won't disappoint you, my dear. I shall drink it. Like that. And sail off happily on a requiem of Bach. Yes, a requiem, Lydia. Appropriate for the occasion. Tested in the crucible of time. You can hardly believe it, can you, Lydia? Here it is, happening before your very eyes. You hardly know what to think. All you can do is stand there, speechless, staring at him as he plays on and on. Then... It's happened. At long last, all those wretched years are over and he lies there slumped across the keys. You stifle an impulse to laugh. You've got to be shocked, Lydia. You've got to call Martha and go through with it. What's the matter? Something has happened to Mr. Hunter. Is he ill? Oh, I'm afraid it's more than that. He's dead. I know it. Please, please, Martha. You've got to get hold of yourself. So soon. The doctor no sooner told him. Please, Martha, please. Come on. (laughs) Gerald! Mr. Hunter! Oh, Mr. Hunter! Oh, here they are. My servant and my bride. My servant weeps bitter tears over my corpse, but my wife, oh, hers have been lost. The woman who does not blush also does not cry. My dear, you have disgraced your sex. With the prologue of three times a sinner... The Signal Oil Company brings you another strange tale by The Whistler. Today being April 1st, I'd like to bring you this timely warning. April showers bring May flowers, but they also bring accidents. Here's what I mean. Of the deaths caused by autos, one out of five occur when roads are wet or slippery. One out of five when driver's vision is obscured. Fortunately, precautions can be taken to help prevent these two types of accidents. For instance, tires that are worn smooth tend to skid more readily. But a deep, heavy retread job, the kind signal gasoline dealers are prepared to give your tires, will restore their grip on the road, help you stop more quickly. And if a worn windshield wiper is leaving streaks across your vision, signal gasoline dealers will install a fine new Rainmaster blade while you wait. So next time you're at your neighborhood signal gasoline dealers, have your tire tread and your windshield wiper checked. You'll feel a lot better knowing your car is prepared for any kind of weather. And it may help save a life. Possibly your own. And now back to the whistler. Gerald had his little joke, didn't he, Lydia? Watching you out of the corner of his eye as he slowly raised the cup of coffee to his lips, putting it down for a moment to tantalize you a little more, raising it again, chuckling to himself when you couldn't keep the eagerness from showing in your face. Yes, Lydia, it was Gerald's little joke. He's made a fool of you, hasn't he? Forced you to show your hand, to come right out and tell him you want him to die. The next morning at breakfast, you're tense and silent, watching Gerald munch happily on his buttered toast as he reads the morning paper. Uh, 
Have some more coffee, Lydia, darling? No? Oh, come now, dear. It's perfectly all right. <laughs> Made it myself. Not a drop of poison in it. Will you be quiet? <laughs> oh, Lydia, Lydia. You're such a comfort to me in my last hours. The beautiful, beautiful wife offering peace and consolation to her lord and master in his declining days, giving freely of her strength. I can't all I can stand, Gerald. Now that's enough. Very well, my dear. There's half a bottle of poison on the shelf in the medicine cabinet. Oh, here. Let me butter you a piece of toast. I'm not hungry. When are you going to kill me, my dear? Oh, uh, pass me the marmalade, will you? Thank you. Gerald, why did you do it? You, um, didn't answer my question. When are you going to kill me? I... I can't stand this any longer! Sit down, Lydia. There. That's better. <laughs> I'm very happy about last night, you know. Yes, it brings things right out into the open. I've known for years that the only thing you wanted was my money. Awfully good marmalade, won't you have some? What did you do with a half bottle of poison that's missing, Gerald? I poured it into the fireplace. Still half left, though. Ought to do the job quite nicely. I signed for it at the pharmacy myself, if you're wondering. Told them it was for the moths. So, you see, it's all ready for you, Lydia. Any time you feel in the mood. What do you want me to say, Gerald? Well, nothing, Lydia. Very well. I'll go. Where? I have an appointment at the hairdresser's. Oh, um, Lydia. Yes? Give Dr. Farmer my regards, will you? Gerald was tempting you, Lydia. But why, Richard? I don't see... By pretending to be dead, he gave you five minutes of being a widow. He wanted you to enjoy that feeling. At the same time, he's shown you how simple it would be to kill him. Practically put poison in your hands. Now he wants you to kill him with it. He wants to die, don't you see? No, I don't. It's very simple. He wants that death on your hands so you'll die with him. Oh, I can't believe that. Not even of him. You'll hang on until you're desperate. But be careful. Don't let him trick you into it. Into what, Richard? Murder, darling. Murder. So you go home, Lydia, and determine to wait him out. He can't last long. There's no point in thinking about it anymore. Time will take care of everything. Get your mind off it, Lydia. Don't think murder, about it darling. anymore. Murder. Murder, darling. Murder. The words keep murder, coming back darling. like the thought of a murder. new toy to a child. And you can't surrender like a child and turn to thoughts of other new toys. Murder is the only toy you want, isn't it, Lydia? As the days pass, it keeps returning unconsciously. The bottle on the shelf in the medicine cabinet, half full... Bought in Gerald's name, flaunting murder, its power at you every murder, day. Murder, darling. Murder. And finally, the night comes when you can't resist it any longer. You go into the medicine cabinet and take the bottle, hold it tightly in the palm of your hand, and walk back into the kitchen. When the coffee's done, you pour a cup and add the contents of the dark little bottle. Uh, no, sugar, Lydia. Gerald has told you the poison is sweet. Now, a little cream... That's it. You're ready now. The bottle is in your pocket, empty. You're ready for Gerald playing on the organ in the library. Ah, well, Lydia, is that really my coffee or some silly substitute? It's coffee, dear. You haven't had any in such a long time now. I'm sure Richard couldn't object. Oh, thank you, darling. Oh, aren't you joining me? No, Gerald, I... I've been too nervous lately. Mind if I go ahead? Please do. What's uh, making you so nervous? Well, I, I don't know, Gerald. Past few weeks have been rather strange. Mm. Maybe the awful weather, eh? Well, cheer up, my dear. Spring's on the way. Your spirits can improve overnight, eh? I, I suppose so. 
Well, here goes. Good Lord, woman, what are you trying to do, kill me? Kill you? What are you talking about? This is hot, Lydia, it's hot. Oh, shall I cool it down for you? No, no. Oh, no. What's the trouble? Oh, it's my heart again. It's acting up tonight. Coffee might be bad for it anyway. Shall I call Dr. Farmer? Oh, don't be so anxious. I just better let this cool for a while. Gerald. Huh? Your coffee's getting cold. Oh, oh yes. Quite forgot all about it. I say. Now, what is it? This is sweet. You sure you haven't put too much sugar in it? Oh, it's just your imagination. Hmm. I suppose. That does taste good. Now, my dear. Yes? You may put the empty bottle on the organ. What? That will make it look like suicide. If they don't find the bottle by my side, you'll be suspected of murder. Go on, put the bottle on the organ. I'm going to play for a while as I wait for it. So you know. And you're not at all embarrassed. Not the faintest sign of a womanly blush. <laughs> you're the worst kind of sinner there is, a deliberate one. You sinned when you married me for my money. You sinned when I tried to commit suicide and you didn't attempt to stop me. And now you've sinned again because you've tried to kill me. <laughs> Do you honestly think, my dear, that anyone three times a sinner can escape punishment? In a few moments, you'll be dead, Gerald. Perhaps. What do you mean? The sweetness of the coffee betrayed you, my dear. I knew when I first tasted it, it was poison. But you drank it anyway. It is suicide, Gerald. You knew all the time. Oh, you foolish woman. <laughs> did you think that that was poison I'd left so conveniently in the medicine chest? Well, of course I did. Martha emptied the bottle weeks ago. I told her to replace the contents with syrup to see if you'd chance another attempt on my life. Well, you came through very nicely, my dear. <laughs> well, Lydia, he's trapped you again. But why? Why, Lydia? He wants you to die for his murder. You're sure of that. He wants to let you go through all the motions time and again, only to be frustrated at the last moment. He wants to build you slowly into a rage that will lead you to a crime of violence and a sure conviction. It's clear now, isn't it? Somehow you manage to keep calm, to appear unconcerned as he sits there, playing on that infernal organ. You, uh, you don't look disappointed, Lydia. Why? Why aren't you disappointed? A minute ago, you thought I was going to die. Now I tell you that I'm not. You aren't disappointed. Why? Why aren't you disappointed? That smile, Lydia, why are you smiling? Wait a minute, you... You, you, you found out about the syrup, didn't you? you? You discovered it wasn't poison, didn't you? Lydia, answer me. Answer me! Your coffee was too sweet, wasn't it, Gerald? Was it sugar? Or did you put real poison in it? Come, tell me, Lydia. There's a strange look in your eyes, Gerald, darling. It seems to be getting stranger by the minute. Sugar doesn't do that, does it? Lydia! You're taking a new tack, aren't you, Lydia? There's no poison in the cup. But there's a new, deadlier one that you hadn't counted on until now. The poisonous power of suggestion. He actually believes he's dying. And you're making the best of it. The real poison is sweet, Gerald. Remember? You're lying, Lydia. You, you didn't do it. But I did. Did you actually believe I'd let you make a fool of me again? When? When did you buy it? Yesterday. Should have known. It's getting hold of you, Gerald, inch by inch. No. Here's the bottle. Here, I'll put it beside you on the organ, just as you say. Give me that bottle. Give it to me. There. Yes, it's, it's empty. Good. Good. What? I. I told them you were. 
trying to poison me. Gerald, what do you mean? The police, dear. The police. Oh. Well, Lydia, for once you're a step ahead of him. So he told them you were trying to poison him. You can't resist now. You've got to laugh about it. Relieved, free at last. Gerald slumped over the organ keyboard, dead. So much simpler now. Death of a stroke. No poison, no suicide. No prying medical examiners. Uh, just one thing, Lydia. The bottle. That would cause suspicion, wouldn't it? When there's nothing to be suspicious about. So you take the bottle from Gerald's hand. Go down into the basement and crush it to tiny bits with an axe. There's nothing left now but a few fragments of glass. Then at long last... Yes? Richard. Richard, darling. Lydia, what's up? You must come at once, dear. Gerald is dead. When? Ten minutes ago. Lydia, you didn't... Of course I didn't. He died of a stroke, Richard. Oh, you must come at once. I'll be right over. Good. And Richard? Yes? I love you. The Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending of tonight's story. Meantime, a word about those big red and yellow signal billboards you've been seeing that tell you you now go farther than ever with new signal gasoline. Unfortunately, there isn't room on those billboards to tell the rest of the story, the finer performance in new signal gasoline that makes this good mileage possible. Here's what I mean. New signals quicker starting naturally saves gas. Signals smooth, fast pickup saves gas. And signals effortless anti-knock power that sends your motor purring up the steepest hills saves gas. So you see, the features in gasoline that make driving a pleasure are the very same ones that add up to more mileage. That's why we say your speedometer is the best proof of gasoline quality. If you want the tops in performance from your car, the logical place to find it is the new super fuel that now helps you go farther than ever. New Signal Gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. It's over, and you're free at last. For the first time since you and Gerald were married, you're genuinely happy. You want to shout it from the housetops. Tell the world that Gerald is dead and you're free. That all his cruel cunning and practical jokes got him nowhere. That the trap didn't work. You almost wish Gerald were alive for a moment, just so you could tell him. But instead, you must sit quietly in the living room in your black dress and wait for Richard Farmer to finish the examination. What a day. I can imagine. We'll have a drink in a moment. So I could use one. Are you finished? Yes. Simple deaths can be just as troublesome as suicides and murders, you know. I can imagine. Lydia. Yes? Lydia, has it occurred to you that Gerald might not have died from a stroke? Of course not. Why? He might have committed suicide. Why, that's impossible. I was with him all last night. You didn't leave him? No, not for a moment. We talked quite a bit. But he might have slipped something in his coffee while you weren't looking. Oh, don't be absurd, darling. Please don't try to make a suicide out of this. I remember everything clearly. He clamored for coffee. I made it for him. He drank it, and soon after, he had the stroke. Why don't you want to let it go at that? The medical examiner from the police department. What? He was the man in the gray suit. Police? What are they to do with it? Lydia, the... he's analyzed the coffee cup and found it contained poison. But Richard! Martha! Martha! Yes, ma'am? Martha, Martha, tell me. About that bottle of poison in the medicine chest. You emptied that bottle, didn't you? You replaced the poison with syrup. I... 
I don't know what you mean, ma'am. I never touched the bottle. Martha. Martha, you... you... What's the matter, Lydia? He did it. It was a trick. Lydia, dear, don't worry about it. Everyone knows it's suicide. You just didn't see him pour the poison into the cup, that's all. And if he didn't leave the room as you say, then the empty bottle must be somewhere in the room with his fingerprints on it. The bottle? That's all the evidence the examiner says they need. Just the bottle, don't you see, dear? Lydia. Lydia, what's the matter? You look white as a sheet. The Whistler with Three Times a Sinner, starring Joseph Kearns from April 1st, 1946. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 15 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 15 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two Western episodes of Hop Along Cassidy, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in next time. Thanks for listening.